1: 971 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of The Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts.
2: We got a reared and roundtable tomorrow. It's the first of the year. Jane will be with us. We haven't had one in like three weeks. We took um, Christmas week off and last week off. Steve Butts, state representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, who used to be a state rep, is now a state senator. She's Ooh. in the upper chamber. Music journalist Tim Summer will be here tomorrow. Vance Crow, um, my friend, who does a great podcast, we're going to talk about some really interesting artificial intelligence stuff, which is Ooh. going to make your brain hurt. I think. <laughs> We're waiting on Jazz Shaw from HotAir.com, although we're having some communication issues. Um, let me talk a little bit here. You know, I, I was mentioning even at the end of the last hour, there are all these stories that I feel deserve attention. I'll give you an example of one of them here in a few minutes. Asra Namani is going to join me. She's a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Network, and she wrote a piece over the holidays called The War on Merit that caught my attention. I sent it to Fred. I'm like, look, we need to do this after the, uh, the holidays. And... This is what this story is about, just to kind of preview this for um, a few minutes from now. This is one of the parents involved in Virginia where she found out that these letters about national merit scholarships or that could apply, you know, to your scholarship, could help you get a scholarship, were not given to the students in a timely fashion. I
3: was sitting here in my home office uh, working and my husband came in on November 21st and he handed me this, you know, certificate that he found in my son's room. And it said that he was a commended scholar from the National Merit Scholarship Corporation. Well, first we were super excited. We were, you know, celebrating with him. And then I looked at the certificate, and it said that it was dated September of 2022. So I asked my son, you know, when did you when did you receive this? And he said, we got him in homeroom last week. And I'm like, well, that's too late for you to be able to put on a number of your college applications. You know, we worked really hard, like many parents and families across the country with their students to apply for these early admission deadline date, which is for many schools is November 1st. So um, I started investigating and figured out, you know, trying to find out what happened. And when I asked the school about it, the response that I got was, yeah, they had them, but they had held on to them. Um, to figure out a good time to hand them out to the students where the students that didn't receive the certificates and the awards from National Merit wouldn't feel bad. What?
2: So some of the facts of this are still somewhat in... Not exactly clear, but the Virginia Attorney General is looking into this. And listen, this parent basically says, this isn't fair. You have no
3: idea what these schools look at. You know, I mean, college admissions is a black box. So our scholarship corporations, we don't know what these universities and corporations, you know, look at when they're awarding these types of merit based awards. But we do know that things that are merit recognition are important to put on those applications. I mean, these kids are 16 and 17 years old. It's not like they've got, you know, years of accolades like you or I do. This yep. is their job. Mm -hmm. They study in school and they do well and they should be able to be rewarded for those achievements and they can't do that if the school's not providing that information to them in a timely manner.
2: So the AG, Jason Miares is his name. It's M-I-Y-A-R-E-S. I'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation. He's a Republican, but he announced an investigation into this yesterday. And as one mom told me, listen, my daughter has done everything right since the first grade. And I'm having to sit down with her and tell her, you may lose your dream of attending Thomas Jefferson High School, not because of anything you've done, but simply what your background is. Equity without excellence is emptiness. So that's um that's the AG saying... To the extent that withholding of any of these awards at Thomas Jefferson High School was based on race, national origin, or any other protected status, if the law was broken, my office will both protect and vindicate the civil rights of Thomas Jefferson students and their family. So this is another one of those situations. And... Asher and Amani will join us again at 525 to kind of, you know, explain some of this, where you have a lot of mixed-race parents that are pissed off, justifiably so. Of course! Parents of Asian kids who have done very well, and all of a sudden they find out something like this. So a, a lot of funny business potentially going on there in Virginia once again. Um, one of the other stories that that I don't think has gotten nearly the amount of attention that it deserves, and one of the reasons is is because it's so complicated— are the Twitter files? We it was interesting. I played a an interview that um, and maybe it was just a monologue, Sue, that I did last week. Remember when we were doing the best ofs, and I was talking about Matt Taibbi. It was Matt Taibbi's take on the media, and you know because he's a guy that I've followed for a long time. And at the beginning of December, he was going to something called the Monk debates. I think it was in Toronto where they were debating the question of whether the mainstream media is dead. And Matt's position was, yes, it is, and here's why, right? And he was right about that. But it was right after that, right after I did that rant, that the Twitter files came out. Like, I think it was that Friday. in Taibbi, because he's one of these guys that— was a lefty, maybe he still is a lefty, he's written for a long time as a journalist, wrote for Rolling Stone, but started to get real sick and tired of some of the nonsense that was happening during the Trump administration. He wrote a book that was anti-Trump, so he hates Trump, but he saw what was happening to the media, and he finally couldn't sell his soul anymore. Wow. So Elon trusts him and Mike Schellenberger and Barry Weiss with the Twitter files. So what Taibbi's done, and this is what I would recommend, because... Sue, so I think we know that the I've always explained it and simplified it this way. If there's a fire or a flood, right? Television covers that extremely well. It's pictures, yes. images, mm-hmm. right? We can mm-hmm. see that what's happening in Northern California right now. Um, radio, we can bring you the immediacy of mm-hmm. the speaker's vote, and we can do it very, very quickly. All of these things, and we can also go into long form. You know, mm-hmm. we do that here. Newspapers can do that. Magazines a little bit more detail. Well, the Twitter files is is almost impossible to break down in any short format it really is because it's so complicated so matt actually did something and, and you can find this on taibi It's t-i-a-b-b-i taibi.substack.com and on that you can subscribe all i do i don't think i pay for what i get from matt i might pay two dollars a month i'd have to think about that but i get a newsletter from him and when he mm. writes about the twitter files i get the newsletter so what he put out yesterday was a um a kind of a encapsulated compendium, if you will, of the Twitter file. So he says January 4th, which was yesterday, which means Twitter file stories have been coming out for over a month because these are weedsy tales and may be hard to follow. If you haven't followed from the beginning, I've written up a capsule summary of each of the threads by all of the Twitter file reporters and added links to the threads and accounts of each. In the end... At the end, in response to some readers, especially foreign ones, who found some of the Alphabet Soup government agency names confusing, he even has a glossary of terms that are helpful with the Twitter files. Like he goes into some of these things, Um, BME, Bulk Media Exploitation, Uh, VIT, Very Important Tweeter, really, that's what it was, VIT. They, they, that, these were the people at Twitter that were considering people VITs, Interesting. Uh, VF, visibly filtering. Anyway, he put there's a bunch of them that you probably never heard before or will never hear again. Um, but on the points, and I'm not going to read all of this, but he he does a good job of sort of calling it down. Um, the first one that Matt broke was on hard to believe December 2nd of last year, last month, Twitter and the Hunter Biden laptop story recounting the internal drama. At Twitter, surrounding the decision to block access to the New York Post expose on Hunter Biden in October of 2020. Key revelations. Twitter blocked the story on the basis of its, quote, hacked materials, unquote, policy. But executives internally knew the decision was problematic. Comms official Brandon Borman put it this way. Can we truthfully claim that this is part of the policy? Oopsie. Also, when a Twitter contractor polls members of Congress about the decision, they hear Democrat members want more moderation, not less. And the First Amendment isn't absolute. That was a quote. The First Amendment isn't absolute. The exiting of Twitter Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker was the next round, December 6th, second round of Twitter files release, And that was delayed. As a new addition, Barry Weiss discovers former FBI general counsel and Twitter deputy general counsel Jim Baker was reviewing the first batches of the Twitter file documents whose delivery to reporters had slowed. So there was some, you know, questions about what Baker got rid of or what might not have been seen. The Twitter files part two. That was Barry's. December 8th, Twitter's secret blacklist. Barry Weiss gives a long-awaited answer to the question, was Twitter shadow banning people? Most of us knew that the answer was, yes, they were. and Now we have all kinds of evidence. Uh, the company called it VF, visibly filtering. Twitter had a separate higher counsel called SIPPES that decided cases for high visibility controversial accounts. Key revelations. Twitter had a huge toolbox for controlling the visibility of any user, including a search blacklist for Dan Bongino. A trends blacklist for uh, Stanford's Dr. J. Bhattacharya, who I can't pronounce his name correctly, and a do not amplify setting for Charlie Kirk. And this is utterly ridiculous. Most people don't even know this unless you've been listening to, you know, talk radio wow. or, or watching Fox Um Weiss quotes a Twitter employee that says, think about visibility filtering as being a way for us to suppress what people see to different levels. It's a very powerful tool. Yeah, it is a powerful tool because you're basically picking and choosing what content can be seen by other users based on their politics. Twitter Files Part 3 by Matt Taibbi on December 9th, the removal of Donald Trump, October 20th, 2020 through January 6th, 2021. This was the first in a three part series looking at how Twitter came to the decision to suspend Donald Trump. The idea behind the series is to show how all of Twitter's visibility filtering tools, VF tools, were on display and deployed after January 6th. Key revelations Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth not only met regularly with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, but with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Also, Twitter was aggressively applying visibility filtering tools to Trump well before the election. Now, I'm going to just stop there. I'm going to continue. But how the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, just on the Twitter piles. part three. I don't care what you feel about Donald Trump. I'm not a particular fan. That's outrageous. It is outrageous. Part four gets worse. The removal of Donald Trump. Now, Mike Schellenberger did this one. This thread by Michael Schellenberger looks at the key day after the January 6th riots and before Trump would ultimately be banned from Twitter on January 8th, showing how Twitter internally reconfigured its rules to make a Trump ban fit their policies. Key revelations. At least one Twitter employee worried about a slippery slope in which an online platform CEO with a global presence can gatekeep speech for the entire world, but that person was shot down. Also, and if I remember correctly, that Twitter employee was from uh, maybe even Eastern Europe, and and he said, "Look, maybe it's because I've experienced some of these things, you know, in history. I don't, I don't. This doesn't seem like a cool thing to do." Also, Chief Censor Roth, Yoel Roth, argues for a ban on Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates, even though it doesn't quite fit anywhere. <laughs> but this is the guy who's in charge of all this, Yoel Roth. Uh, we, we don't really have a category, but let's ban him anyway. And then Twitter changed its public interest policy to clear a path for Trump's removal. On December 11th, the Twitter files part five by Barry Weiss, the removal of Donald Trump, January 8th. As angry as many inside Twitter were with Donald Trump after January 6th, staffers struggled to suspend his account, saying things like, I think we'd have a hard time saying this is incitement. As documented by Weiss, they found a way to pull the trigger anyway. Key revelations. there were dissenters in the company oh here it is this is the reference this is a person who said um maybe because i'm from china i deeply understand how censorship can destroy the public conversation but overruled by senior executives like Vijay gadi and roth who noted many on twitter staff were citing the banality of evil and comparing those who favored sticking to a strict legalistic interpretation of twitter's rules for example, keep Trump, who had no violation, to, quote, Nazis following orders. I mean, that's the comparison, basically. Part six, Matt Taibbi, December 16th. Twitter, the FBI subsidiary. Now, let's, th- this is where I think it gets even more egregious, more egregious. Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive. As FBI personnel, mainly in the San Francisco field office, regularly sent lists of reports to Twitter, often about Americans with low follower counts making joke tweets. Tweeters on both the left and the right were affected. That's really interesting. Um, key revelations. A senior Twitter executive reports the FBI was adamant that no impediments to sharing classified information exists. Twitter also agreed to, quote, bounce content on the recommendations of of a wide array of governmental and quasi-governmental actors. No, 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 no. So basically what they did is, at the whim of the FBI, at the whim of Homeland Security, or the Stanford Election Integrity Project, or even state governments, you know what, we're going to bounce content because somebody doesn't like it out there. And I bet they only bounce content on the left, right? It was, it was equal between the left and the right. The company one day received so many moderation requests from the FBI and executive congratulated staffers at the end for completing the monumental undertaking. Let me just take the Twitter files part six by Matt Taibbi and focus on that and say the FBI, Homeland Security, state governments. Nobody has any business in any of this and they should not have. We've made so many egregious mistakes in this country with locking people down and forcing people to wear masks and thinking that blocking content on Twitter that we think is inappropriate is the right thing to do for this country. It's outrageous. And again, I'm running down some of this stuff because most people are unaware, because CNN says nothing to see here, because even Fox because this is complicated. It's hard to explain. You're not going to go on Fox and do exactly what I just did. You're right. Unless it's way you're too huge. Right. So, you know, it's hard in a six-minute segment to call this down, even if you have. And look, I'll, I'll tell you, and I'm going to have Matt Taibbi here in a second with some audio after I reveal what happened um, with the Twitter files, part seven. Um The FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop, December 19th. Twitter file story increases its focus on the company's relationship to federal law enforcement and shows intense communication between the FBI and Twitter just before the release of the Hunter Biden story in the New York Post. Key revelation, San Francisco agent Elvis Chan sends 10 documents to Twitter's then head of site integrity, Joel Roth, through Teleporter, a one-way communications channel, from the FBI to Twitter the evening before the release of the Post story. Also, Baker, in an email, explains Twitter was compensated for processing the request by the FBI saying that I am happy to report we have collected $3,415,323 since October of 2019, exclamation point. So here's something to feel good about, ladies and gentlemen. Your tax dollars were sent to Twitter for the FBI trying to manipulate an election. That's outstanding. That's America, right? This is not East Germany. Part 8, December 20th. 2022 how twitter quietly aided the pentagon's covert online um, campaign lee fang takes a fascinating detour looking how twitter for years approved and supported pentagon backed covert operations i'm going to be honest with you i missed this one okay i even missed this one noting the company explicitly testified to congress that it did not allow such behavior the platform nonetheless was clearly partnering with state-backed programs involving fake accounts. That is unbelievable. After the U.S. Central Command, CENTCOM, sent over a list of 52 Arab language accounts we used to amplify certain messages, Twitter agreed to whitelist them. Ultimately, the program would be outed in the Washington Post two years after Twitter and other platforms stopped assisting. uh, Right before Christmas. Part 9 by Matt Taibbi, Twitter and other government agencies, key revelations, CIA officials attended at least one conference with Twitter in the summer of 2020. And companies like Twitter and Facebook received OGA briefings at their regular industry meetings held in conjunction with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. The FBI and the Foreign Influence Task Force met regularly, not just with Twitter, but with Yahoo, Twitch, Cloudflare, LinkedIn, even Wikimedia. Part 10, David Zweig did this one, December 28th, how Twitter rigged the COVID debate. This is immensely important. He found memos from Twitter personnel who were in liaison with Biden administration officials who were angry that Twitter had not deplatformed more accounts. White House officials, for instance, wanted attention on reporter Alex Berenson. Alex has been a guest on the show. Zweig found countless instances of Twitter banning or labeling misleading accounts that were true or merely controversial. Andrew Boston is a Rhode Island physician, for instance. He was suspended for, among other things, referring to the results of a peer-reviewed study on mRNA vaccines. mRNA vaccines. It's just outrageous. Twitter files part 11 and 12. These just came out. Have you heard about the FBI belly button? These two threads focus, and Matt put these out yesterday, right at the end of the show, actually. These two threads focused respectively on the second half of 2017 and a period stretching roughly from the summer of 2020 through the present. The first describes how Twitter fell under pressure from Congress and the media to produce material showing a conspiracy of Russian accounts on their platform. The second shows how Twitter tried to resist fulfilling moderation requests for the State Department, but ultimately agreed to let state and other agencies send requests through the FBI, which Chan calls the belly button of the USG. Revelations. At the close of 2017, Twitter makes a key internal decision. Outwardly, the company would claim independence and promise that content would only be removed at, quote, our sole discretion. The internal guidance says, in writing, that Twitter will remove accounts identified by the U.S. intelligence community as identified by the U.S. intelligence community as state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations. The second thread shows how Twitter took in requests from everyone. Treasury, Treasury, HHS, the NSA, FBI, DHS, et cetera. They also received personal requests from politicians like Adam Schiff, who asked to have journalist Paul Sperry suspended. So here's Ty E.B. on Fox talking about this.
1: I think we can say pretty conclusively after looking at tens of thousands of emails over the course of these weeks that the government was in the censorship business in a huge way. Uh, that's I think provable now. Uh, and not just one agency.
2: This is outrageous. And nobody wants to talk about it because it's too complicated because there's so many details. And Matt Taibbi and Mike Schellenberger and Barry Weiss and Zweiger, the only guys writing about this, and then it never gets amplified, never really even gets amplified on Fox very much. People need to know about this, which is one of the reasons, by the way, we need to have a Republican-controlled House that can launch investigations. But guess what? They've had 10 rounds, and we got no speaker. <laughs>
0: Now we see in Fairfax County uh, violations of civil liberties, where we have students who had achieved uh, a, a real accolade to be a national merit scholar, and they weren't told. They weren't told because they didn't want to make the other students feel bad. It's not right, it's not consistent with Virginia values and American values, and uh, we're gonna go to work to make sure we fully understand all the facts here.
2: I mean, and this is an undercover story, it will continue probably to be an undercover story. Former Wall Street Journal reporter, the author of a new book called Woke Army, Azra Nomani is with us this afternoon. Azra, how are you? Happy New Year to you. I know this is a great story, so thank you for covering it first and foremost.
4: Oh, my gosh. You know, you finally just dig, 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 dig enough, right? And then you find something that is just so outrageous that everybody understands it.
2: So earlier this hour, I had the opportunity just to sort of promote and preview this segment with you, and I played some of the audio from Shawna Yashar, who is, um, I guess she's a lawyer in her own right, uh, considering the withholding of the National Merit Awards for her son. But a lot of people might not have been with us at the top of the hour, and I don't want to replay the audio since you're with me. So kind of call this down and talk about what happened here, how the parents got concerned, and now we have an investigation from the AG in Virginia, right?
4: Yes, this is just phenomenal. This is just so fast breaking and I'm I'm just overwhelmed at how how well this spaghetti has stuck on this wall because you throw a lot of spaghetti. Here's how how what happened. So my son graduated from this school, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in the spring of twenty twenty one. By then we had already known that there was a war on merit and that there was a war on the kids in that school because we were the wrong kind of minority right. for the for the woke army. Right. You know, we are mostly Asian, seventy percent Asian, mostly immigrant, just like my family. Came here as a little girl at the age of four, learned English reading Nancy Drew. And
2: <laughs> that's awesome. You know, I love that. I was a Hardy Boys person, love,
4: but you know. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. of course. But the but you know what? That's what I say. The mama bears and papa bears we're just Nancy Drew and Hardy Boy grown up. That's all that's, that's what right, we are. That's right. Yeah. And, um and, you know, I, I've been following. So I, as you mentioned, I w- worked at the Wall Street Journal. I know two things, follow the money and connect the dots. And I started doing that. And fast forward, you know, we just go through a couple of years of just this assault by the woke army, as they call them on our school. They change admissions, get rid of the merit test, uh, start dumbing down classes. And then, I get this message from Shauna Yasher's mom in the class of 2023. And she said that she discovered one day that her son had gotten this honor of being a national merit commended student. So a lot of people might know about the finalist, that's the gold medal, the semifinalist, that's the silver medal, let's just say. And the commended student is like getting the bronze medal in the Olympics. You are in the top 5% of students nationwide of 1.5 million high schoolers that took the test, but it was weeks after early action and early admission application deadlines, they hadn't been able to put this great award in their. Um, they hadn't put, been able to put this great award. Sorry for that. In their, um, uh, in their, uh, uh, you know, the applications, right? Yeah, in yeah. Their applications. In the college
2: applications, yeah,
4: yeah for some kids especially you have to think about it they say oh come on you guys are the top kids in the country you're the top kids competing against the top kids in your school so you need anything sometimes to be able to set you apart from the other kids in the country you're competing for these slots so shauna was amazing nancy drew in her own right (laughs) yeah yeah loved it She, she started making the phone calls she's got great investigative skills literally got the the Director of Student Services, on the phone, man by the name of Brandon Kasaka, and he told her it was intentional. The delay was because they wanted to be uh, very, you know, subtle about the way that they presented this award in case it would hurt the feelings of students who didn't get the award. So he
2: said that to her? He actually admitted yes, that it was yeah. intentional? Because yeah. I thought that the district at this point was saying, no, that's not what happened.
4: Oh, they're saying they... This is what is remarkable because you all know this very much in um, St. Louis area. How much the school boards have deceived parents? It has happened oh, in so many. Oh, it's, of the it's in district. my
2: in my school district, which was the center of some controversy. The Rockwood school district, where our former exactly. you know, our former superintendent exactly. gave away the FBI hotline number. Yes,
4: <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And and I I, I I got the memo. I remember the weekend of the teacher who was telling uh, you know the instructor who was telling. Um, teachers to hide yep, information we covered that. from yep. parents. Same thing that yeah, was in Rockwood exactly. as well. Yeah. <laughs> but this is this is the larger dynamic. And so in this instance, he also told her they want to recognize the students as individuals, not for their achievements. Can you believe this? This this false binary that was created separating a child as, as an individual from their achievement. And we all know. Listen, you know this. I remember. The $300 scholarship I got, you know, when I was a junior, Um, getting like third place in the op-ed writing class, you know, it was, it just lifted my spirits. It gave me that little spark, you know, to keep on going. Yeah. I remember the coloring contest, you know, where I got a $10 gift certificate at the local Sears. I mean, these are the things that you can even hear it in my voice, right? Yeah, you're getting emotional. Sure. Yeah, it lifts your spirits. And so now here we have these kids who work so hard, like so many kids across the country. And, you know, they are denied this honor, this award for political correctness and just the wrong type of values. And then in the meanwhile, just like your school district, like right, just like so many school districts across the country, this new superintendent, Michelle Reed, just signed a $400,000 plus contract with a chemical engineer who, of course, is an expert on diversity and equity. Of course. And, yeah, and his um, his agenda is equal outcomes for every student. Imagine.
2: Yeah, imagine. So wh- where is this right now? Obviously, you have the Attorney General of Virginia involved. Glenn Youngkin has made comments. Kasaka, the guy that you mentioned, you, you said that, Earlier in December, he, after he was caught red-handed, then he writes an email that says, "We're deeply sorry for not sharing the news earlier," and he claims that officials would contact admissions offices to correct the record. Is that happening?
4: Oh, they are contacting them, but parents are furious. And let, let, let's let's recognize this: this is They have tried to say this is a one-time, a one-time error. But guess what? In the course of this reporting called the National Merit Scholarship Corporation, tried to figure out their complicated process. It's like trying to get into Fort Knox. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I said, you know, by the way, I mean, I'm just curious. Like My son did. I thought he scored pretty well, but we didn't hear that he'd gotten an award. Mm-hmm. Did he happen to be a commended student? He graduated, class of 2021, now
2: 2023. I just found out. And he was. He was a commended student. My, you didn't yeah, even know. my son. Right.
4: And so when he was applying, guess who didn't get merit scholarships? You know, guess. I See, mean, this, this is out, this it's outrageous. Us.
2: It really this is. Cost,
4: and you know, I just got I just got an email from the bursar's office at my son's college. I got to write a check. You know, this cost us money, and who did they hit? And that's why Jason Mieres and the governor and and Winston, Winston Sears, our lieutenant governor. They're so on point. Like, I wanted to cry when I read the governor's letter because he recognized first parents matter, and then he recognized issues of education are a civil rights issue, you know, and a human rights issue. That's why we do not have child labor, so that our kids can go to school. That's why we do not allow the exploitation of children, because they are have a right to education. That is their... their Fundamental human right, you know, in in our our nation, and that's what is so beautiful about our nation because we allow that. We don't have kids working in carpet factories, right? We we recognize their value, and we should be supporting all of them equally.
2: Azra, you Azra is with us, uh, former Wall Street Journal reporter, senior fellow at the Independent Women's Network. There is a new book called Woke Army that's coming out. By the way, where's when's the book coming out? I'm very much looking forward.
4: Oh my gosh, I'm. So excited. So it's coming out in early February, and I want to come back and talk to you about it because it is going to be so good. It's going to connect the dots for everybody and follow the money on this machine. You know, everybody, you can feel it. You can feel like there's an army up against this nation's, like, progress and the kids, this war on merit, this war on kids. It's, it's, It's an army of lieutenants and generals out there. Um, and we, the parents, have been the defense, and yes. we're so lucky thank in goodness. Virginia. Yep. I so- mean,
2: I I, I remember saying last summer, her. not 2020, 2021, when all this was kind of bubbling from Fairfax County, I I you know pretty pretty uh, defiantly declared, look, the parents are going to win this, and I think the parents are engaged yes. and they are going to win yes. it. Now, you, this is what I love too, and thank God that there are mixed race parents and um, other minorities that are involved in this because otherwise this wouldn't give attention. But Osra, you even go before Congress and you basically admitted that you. You, as an Indian immigrant, are the face of white supremacy in this country, right?
4: Yeah, it was a (laughs) hearing. Yeah, it was a hearing of the House Oversight Subcommittee, and the topic was white supremacy. And I went there. I went there with my shirt of everything that parents have been called. My dad made the shirt for me. Over my heart was what we are, which is Mama Bear's. And papa bears and over on the other side with all the other names, white supremacist, QAnon Mom. I got another one the other night. It was at the um, at the school and this sycophant for the principal spoke up and she said, Oh yeah, you know, there's this article written and Fox News is reporting, is, like republishing it and, and this 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 and she's like looking right at me, right? It's about me. And she said
2: Oh, it's that terrible noise when someone just drops off, oh, and that's I what happened. That. She was in the middle of something good there, yeah. too. If it's a cliffhanger. Oh, man. Well, you know what? Maybe it's a cliffhanger for her book. Look, she goes before Congress, and she is trying to you know, um, highlight some of these books, like Not My Idea, a book about whiteness which lists races and shows a white man signing a contract with the devil. That's what kids are being taught. Asra trying to expose that. Good for her. Hey So I've got a good visual for you. I don't know if you saw this. I put this on Twitter earlier, the Twitter earlier today. You know, uh, Simon Rose, who has been on the show previously, my friend from Columbia, he's got an English accent, he's from Manchester, England, he did the soccer game.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, he called the
2: play-by-play for the soccer game, the first game last month, or when was that, November, maybe, Uh, but he sent this. We worked together, uh, 19, I mean, I told this story yesterday about my friend Irene Haskins in Columbia, who would have turned 95 years old yesterday, so... We worked together, Simon and I, starting in 1992 all the way to 1996 when I moved here to St. Louis. But he dug this up. Check this out. This is an ad that was in a newspaper we're thinking this was circa nineteen ninety four. For the audience, if you want to oh see this, you go to gosh. at Mark Reard KFTK. I tweeted a few things today. You'd have to page down You see where I am? Uh, That's some special uh, hair. It, uh, isn't I gotta it?
3: tell you, it took me a minute to figure That's out what which one was saying. You.
2: Well, I'm a little my face is a little fatter, wouldn't you say? No, it, it definitely is. That is I don't uh, think I weighed like when I was fat, I was in high school. This would have been an era where maybe I weighed one eighty five or something like okay, that.
0: Okay, I
1: would just call you yeah, chubby cheeks. Chubby
2: cheeks. I would not call you, you know. Yeah, they're, they're, but the hair is special too. Oh, isn't look it? at Simon. He looks just like himself. And that guy on the right, Charlie Wilkerson, we hated each other. That's what I remember <laughs> about Charlie. Um, ah. The two guys, Curtis Hancock and Dan Jordan. His name is Jordan Yout. He's here in St. Louis. I think he works for some government agency or Really? Something. Yeah. He... he looks like somebody I know. I mean, I don't think I know him. And there's but... Chris Gervino, uh, who was on. He's still on the Tiger Network. And then there's a woman named Jennifer Doug. I have no rec- recollection. You have nothing? So you don't I... remember her? She's the only female here. Yeah, I don't remember her. That's weird. It is weird. So I sent this because, again, kind of connecting the dots here. This is when I met and when we worked together for the first time, Steve Moore, who's our boss. So I send this ad to Steve, and he goes, "Yeah, I think I created that." Okay, <laughs> and I'm that's sure that hilarious. He did. I'm sure that he did. Uh, it's funny because there was a I had a guy from college who was a a good friend of mine named Fred Perry, and Fred's a crazy person that's still in Columbia, Missouri, he's been an elected official, which is frightening to me. But I had this reputation, this was in the late 80s, maybe it still exists, where I would borrow something from somebody, and then I i guess I would never give it back, right? I just wouldn't give it back in a timely fashion. Sue is just shaking her head right now. Oh, so, Fred was a guy that went through the the ad sequence in the J School, and he was running, I think, at the time, the advertising um, department at the Columbia, Missouri. And the Columbia, Missouri, is the student-run newspaper, but it's a regular newspaper, right? It's a morning newspaper in Columbia. So one morning, I'm doing my radio show, doing a morning show at the time, and. Nobody tipped me off, and I open up the paper, and on, like, page 4A, there's a half-page ad—I'm not even exaggerating—with my picture holding a bunch of money, and it says, do not lend anything to this man. And it lists all these things that I had borrowed. This is hilarious that, oh, it, and, and I can't horrifying. remember. I can't remember if it was an April Fool's joke, but— It's like a half-page ad. So the picture came from, at the time, we were doing some giveaways where we gave away money. So we did a promo shoot with my morning show partners where we were holding cash. They isolated that particular, you know, the early days of Photoshop or whatever that was, and they put the ad in the paper. It was pretty funny. That's hysterical. Did that change you? Did you change your ways? I like think it. Caveman. I think it guilted me into. Uh, uh, but you know what? Here's what happens. Like I have my neighbor Chris, who's across the street from me in my neighborhood. He's got all the things that I don't have, like a wheelbarrow. So I, I borrow the wheelbarrow, and then it takes me weeks. There's no reason that it takes me weeks. I just yeah, don't give it that's back. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing, Sue. I know that. It's all right, just, let me go to Lowe's and see hard. How much a wheelbarrow would is. Would you please? Would you please check on that? Yeah, because I'm I kinda going do, in. I need one for Does sure. Does he have a plastic one or like the hardcore metal? Oh, no, it's hardcore metal. Okay. no, no, that's wrong. I'm plastic. sorry, it's men, of right. course. I do have a leaf blower and I have two hedge trimmers, one of which needs a new battery, though, too. So if you find anything on that, let me know. Listen,
3: you can get a craftsman. Hang on.
1: Now, the audio cut of the day. Right,
2: for 119
1: bucks. That's it? Yeah. I All mean, right. you can go 179 I, I do, for the best one. seller. I
2: don't think I need the Primo. Anyway, cut of the day this afternoon. Um... Well, I'm going to do a twofold cut of the day. This is The Idiot's Joy Behar on The View talking about football.
1: 45% of Americans
4: think that ta- tackle football is appropriate. Oh. Uh, heterosexual men voted
2: the most support for kids uh, doing football. Mm-hmm. And conservatives were more likely to support youth tackle football. Just saying. Uh, what, what is that? Just saying what? Just saying What? What do Find you ever it say? Find appropriate for what? She, she's, I don't like any of this. She's so dumb, it's unbelievable. But I give her a lot of attention. Clay Travis said this.
1: This is what was inevitable, right? Football is hyper-masculine, it's violent, it's a meritocracy, uh, and it is played almost exclusively by men. And so the left wing, of course, is going to hate it. And uh, this is part and hmm. parcel of their war. I really believe this. On masculinity in general. So I don't think
2: it's everyone on the left. I think he's talking about the extreme left. Uh-huh, and, and I yeah. think he's right about that. Then the other big story of the day, obviously, well, two things. DeMar Hamlin is looking like he's going to be okay he's communicating via note he's awake and alert so that's good news the nfl says we're not going to play that game they are meeting right now the competition committee is in a meeting currently trying to decide on what to do about the seatings and there's been some wacky ideas tossed around including maybe having the afc championship game at a neutral site that is really dumb but the nfl is good at doing dumb things the other story Brian Kohlberger back in Idaho. And some of these things that we learned today from the affidavit are a little weird.
0: Uh, 19 pages in total and perhaps the most chilling single detail in it was the story of the roommate identified by the initials DM who saw this man clad all in black and wearing a mask. She said she did not recognize that man. And in fact, the only identifier uh, she gave police of him was that he had bushy eyebrows. You can imagine how absolutely terrifying that must have been for her. She'd been awakened by noises in the house, looked at her door and saw this man. She then hurriedly locked her door and he left the building. But you know the thing
2: that was not clear and we talked with Paul Morrow about an hour ago is we don't know if the affidavit is not clear on whether he saw Saw her. her.
3: And and what was she doing for eight hours So she passed The 911
2: call didn't come in for eight hours. Yeah. That is strange. It's bizarre. Stay tuned. I guess have a great night. A Reardon Roundtable and in fact the first one of, um, you know, the year. 2023. 20, yes, mm-hmm. it's coming up tomorrow. Jane will be back. We're the whole gang. We have Tim Summer talking a little music tomorrow night, Paul Hall on entertainment, Kusamano, and a whole lot more.
1: Get more at 971Talk.com.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.